Happy Sunday. Happy summer. Everybody ready to go back to school? Yes. Yes. All right. 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 Make your kid. He's being abused. He's ready to go back to school where he gets fed at least once a day. Anyway, uh, welcome. Um, my name is Trey. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at church, and I'm, I'm mostly known as the guy who doesn't teach. So uh, I, have, I have other duties as assigned, but I'm the announcement guy. I'm the light guy usually. I'm the email guy. I've got, I got a lot of jobs, but teaching, it's down on my list. Um, but we're going to, uh, oh, and Jason calls me the guy that dresses from Costco. So anyway, I, thanks, Jason. Anyway, uh, but today we're going to, uh, one of my main jobs at, at ANC is dealing with the finances. And so... I know you were all looking forward to a, uh, a sermon on giving this morning, so I'm going to deliver that to you uh, in just a moment. But we're going to be looking at an example in the New Testament in Acts 4, and I'm going to be sharing some thoughts on that and just some different perspectives of mine. Uh, but let's pray uh, first uh, before we get into that. Father, I just want to thank you for uh, your word. I want to thank you for just its ability to uh, do what it does as it convicts, as it teaches um, and as it, as it just ministers to our hearts, Father, I pray that we are open to receive what you have to say this morning, um, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So um, we're going to be teaching out of Acts 4, verses 32 through 37. That's at the end of the chapter, and it's subdivided off by a nice little heading at the end. But I want to recap kind of what's been going on in Acts 4 so you, so you know context, so you know where this is at. Um, but... The thing is, is that um, after Christ's resurrection, the teachers of the law and the rulers of Jerusalem were very upset with this new way that they'd heard about, um, coming from, G- from the Jesus camp, you know, the whole thing going on there, specifically that Jesus had been resurrected and that numbers, lots of large numbers of people were coming to faith in this new way and in Jesus, and that healing was going on in the name of Jesus. This was upsetting the rulers of the day. And so they brought Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court, if you will. Uh, So they bring them before the Supreme Court, and they're asked, by what power are they doing this healing? And Peter, it says in chapter chapter 4, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaimed this, it is in and by the name of Jesus who you crucified, but God raised from the dead that this man before you is healed. You rejected Jesus, and he is the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. And see, they couldn't really do much with Peter and John at this point, so they pretty much just told them, uh, yeah, just don't say that anymore, and you're free to go. They had broken no laws, and uh, they sim- simply just threatened them and sent them back to their people. Well, Peter and John weren't having any of it. They got back to their people, and they went, uh, and reported what was done to them and what was said to them. And they prayed at this point. The whole group of them prayed together for boldness of their convictions. And they asked God to continue to work in, in, in them as a group and, and to perform more signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. So that at this point then, the whole building shakes, the whole place shakes, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So right after that, after the building shakes, after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, um, we, we pick up in Acts 4, 32 through 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, 
but they shared everything they had. With, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So, um, just so you know, I, I told you I, I am in charge of kind of the finances of the church and, and what goes on day-to-day business-wise with the church. Um, and I'm the only one who sees who gives at the church. That and our bookkeeper, uh, who's part-time, and she doesn't go to this church. So, um, and if I'm honest, I don't really keep tabs on what people give at ANC. I figure that's between uh, you and God. And I'm more concerned with the overall financial health and well-being of ANC as a community of faith moving together. Will we make our payments to our nonprofit partners? Do we have the money for the ministries we support? Will we make our rent? Will we make payroll, take care of the insurance? Will we be able to bless and assist those who call and need our help? We'll be able to make purchases that we need that just, you know, that just come up from time to time. The equipment for our, for our events that we do or pay honorariums for guest speakers like we had or take care of the band or, or worship leaders when Lamar's gone. Um, but just a lot of things that go on in the church, and I oversee those things that are financial. So in the life of ANC, in the nine-plus years that we've been operating, we've never taught on giving. That's correct, isn't it? We've never... I think we've never, I can say outside of um, partner class and outside of a called business meeting, uh, one Sunday morning that we had a special called business meeting when our church was literally tanking a couple of years ago, um, we have not taught on it. Uh, And and your pastors didn't teach on it. We had one of our elders do it at that point. Um, But it's not because it's not important. It is. It's very important. But I think we don't do it because we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. We've always believed that the finances of the church are for the partners, and we still do. But I do think we do a disservice by not teaching about giving. Because as believers, we're the beneficiaries of previous generations' generosity and investment in the kingdom. If you're like me and you came to faith in church or because of church people, you are the beneficiary. Your faith uh, benefited from someone being trained up, brought up in church, um, discipled, and, and cause to impart their, their knowledge to you. Giving's always been important to me, as it is for many of you. I learned early on that when I made money, that this was God's provision for me. My dad taught me that. That I ought to be compelled to give a portion of the provision back to the church to join in what the church was doing. And it was biblical. Dad told me, son, when you make $300, which was a huge check when you're in high school, you should give 30 of that to God, at the church, he called that tithing. And I'm like, whoa, 30 bucks? That's a lot of soda money. Um, I'm just kidding. It's, but when, uh, when Jenny and I started going back to church after having been absent for, for more than a decade, one of the things that was made clear to me uh, is that I should participate. I was to serve with everything that I had, all of my talents, and I was to give financially. Serving for me and Jenny landed us in youth group for over a decade. And that's where we met Jen, Jen and Brandon. They, they were in our church in Corpus as youth pastors. And Jenny and I just 
connected and fell in love with, and the story, you know, happy ending, blah. Uh, anyway, so, uh, but also, besides youth, I, I taught uh, uh, young married Sunday school class. I started and implemented small groups at our church, and, uh, and I was a deacon. I was a deacon. Uh, so, but, and, and we tithed, okay? And I must say, tithing's never been hard for me. It's just always been something, well, except for maybe when my dad told me to give $30, um, but Jenny, on the other hand, thought it was just way too much. Um, she had grown up poor, and uh, she's not here, and so I can say this about her. And <laughs> she couldn't imagine giving hundreds of dollars every month uh, to the church. I had to share with her the, these principles that I had been taught and that Dad had instilled in me when I was little uh, and, and the motive behind it. But then I want to tell you something personal about me and my um, tithing situation that I have only shared with a few close friends. Back in 2005 or six, I, I called my previous church in Corpus in March and I was doing my taxes. And I said, hey, would you please uh, forward me, print it, or I'll come pick it up, or email. I don't even know if we had fax. I don't even know what the deal was back then. But anyway, if you'll please prepare that for me, I'd like to come pick that up because I did not receive that. Um, and, and Alice told me, Alice is the one old lady that answered the phone. She goes, let me let you talk to the financial secretary. So I talk to the financial secretary, uh, and she go, puts me on hold, and she comes back in a minute. She goes, uh, Trey, you didn't give anything last year. And I was like, what? Um, that's not possible. Um, I always give. I give a lot. Um, I, and I, these are all going through my mind, and I am just so, I am freaking out. Uh, because I have not participated in, in a way that's very, very important to me. Um, didn't make any sense to me. I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile it. As best I, as best I know, um, I had put an end on my um, direct giving at the bank, and the time had expired, and I, therefore I quit giving. And I had not given for an entire year. And this crushed me. Um, one of the, well, the very first person I reached out to was Brandon, who was up here in Austin at the time, uh, serving at another church. And I said, dude, I blew it. Tell me, what do I do? What do I do? I, I don't know. I said, I, I, uh, he goes, well, um, do you have the money? I'm like, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there thinking up the months and, and you know, how all, how all that adds up. I'm like, no, dude, I, if I have it, I spend it. And I really do. Um, and he says, well, I, he goes, I tell you what do. Um, and it made a lot of, it, 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 it resonated with me, and it's, it is what I did. He said, um, give what you can and move on. Give what you can and move on. Um, I was like, that was easy, because uh, I can give what I can, and then I'll move on. There was no condemnation. There was no guilt. There was no shame. Those were things that I was heaping on myself. When I found that I had not given, can you imagine that? not giving for an entire year. For me, that was just, uh, it, it blew me away. Because I believe that tithing is biblical, and I believe that it's not to earn favor. It wasn't because God needs our money. It wasn't to get something in return, and it wasn't because the church would fold if I didn't. It was something greater than all that, and it was an exercise in faith for me. But in that moment of failure, I made this about myself. And it's never been about us. 
Much like a Bible study or serving with us when we go downtown or, or getting together in community and just loving on people who are different than ourselves, uh, this is an act of obedience that places, giving is an act of obedience. It places our dependence and recognition that God does provide for us. He provides everything for us. He's the giver of all good things, after all. And like it says in Psalms, he really is the owner of, a, of, of the cattle on a thousand hills. And like we say in partner class, it's both personal and it's spiritual, but it's also practical. It's personal in the sense that only you know whether your giving of your time, talents, and resources is sacrificial. It's spiritual in the sense that our sacrificial giving is an act of faith between you and God. Only between you and God. And it's practical in the sense that it simply costs money to move an organization, to do the things we do. I believe the story out of Acts 4 is a miraculous affirmation and an encouragement not only to those in the story but to us today. Because we see in the story, we see persecution when James, excuse me, when Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin. We see their response, which was praying for boldness and asking God for more signs and more wonders. And then we see the miraculous affirmation of God's crazy loving, and generous provision through his people, and specifically through Barnabas. I've come to some new terminology for tithing, uh, and, you know, uh, because I don't know. I don't know why. I feel like I have to change it from tithing. That just seems like an archaic word to me, but maybe it's just biblical. But I call it kingdom investment. And I'm not trying to be slick or manipulative with that, because our investments aren't necessarily going to earn us any earthly dividends. But what it does do is, is, is invest in the church, in the ministries it supports, and the calling that God's given us for future beneficiaries of the work that we're doing in the kingdom. I think about it this way. At some point in time previously, someone gave money to a church somewhere or a ministry that introduced my dad or my grandfather or his father to Jesus. That church used its resources to train and grow up leaders and disciples that would make a way for my people to come to a place where they would learn and be trained up in the ways of Jesus. And in turn, they would pass that down to their kids and their kids and eventually to me. And I would pass that and train my kids and hopefully my grandkids someday. But it started with a sacrifice made by someone. Maybe that person was a farmer or a teacher or a steel worker like my grandfather, a mechanic or a businessman. And I, and subsequently my kids, and future grandkids, and those we come in contact with, will know about the saving grace of Jesus because of their sacrifice. But let's look back at the text for a minute. The very first verse says, All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, and they shared everything that they had. So in less than ten weeks, uh, excuse me, ten verses, I was less than, never mind. In less than 10 verses, these followers of Jesus, all, all believers, who weren't even sure that Peter and John were going to return from the Sanhedrin, they're so compelled by the reality of God and are not moved by the threats of the religious machine that they're willing to part ways with their stuff in order to be part of this bigger movement and want others to benefit as well. Now, as we discussed several months ago, being of one heart and mind isn't necessarily believing the same thing as the person sitting next to you. This has never been the case. It wasn't in this new movement, and it's not here at A&C. But it is believing the truth 
of the centrality of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. You know, uh, the, the important stuff. So now I can look out here um, and be assured that we don't all believe the same. But we have unity in this body while we may not necessarily have unanimity. That's kind of been our marching orders as, as of late. What that looks like today is giving. And I'm talking about sacrificial giving inside the church. We're talking about everyone giving according to what they've been given. Time, money, talents. And it works best when we all pull together, when we're all pulling equally, everyone lifting at the same time. Many hands make light work, you've heard. Too often I default to the guy that I know will do the job because it's easier for me. But that's not good for the team or for team morale. And it's not God's design. What he is, not what he's blessed us to do. In Genesis 12, 2, he says that this to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'm, a, I'm blessing you, Abraham, so that you will be a blessing. He doesn't give Abraham the option of sitting this one out and letting somebody else be the blessing. No, he says, I bless you. You bless others. The reality for some of us is that either A, we don't fully believe or we, B, don't fully understand what it means to be part of a movement, something bigger than ourselves. At A and C, we've never asked people to do something that the elders, leaders, and staff of this church aren't doing. We try to lead by example. The staff and elders, all of us together, with many of you, lead by example. And as a leader in this church, I fully believe and fully understand that we can do more together together than we could do separately. And as we come together weekly, worship God, serve in the community, and proclaim the message of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection by doing life together, we are emboldened, much like the followers of Jesus in Acts 4, to give sacrificially of our time, to give sacrificially, sacrificially of our talents, and even, yes, give sacrificially of our money and resources. But it works best when we're all pulling together 100%, rolling up our sleeves and sharing the load. This is why we ask you to serve with us. This is why we ask you to pray and study and do life with us and grow with us. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And Luke 12.48 says, To whom much is given, much is required. As a people, we're so blessed. We've been given so much. You know, A&C, when you partner with A&C, you know this. Uh, you've said, I will serve with you. I will, I will live in community with you, and I will give to you sacrificially. Again, we wouldn't ask you to do anything we're not doing ourselves because we believe in it. We believe Christ meets us downtown. We believe he reveals himself in our restore groups, in our study, in our prayer, and we believe that Christ sustains us when we give. It's a package deal. Don't miss out on the blessing that comes with serving that comes with community and that comes with giving. Don't miss it. I believe uh, that applies to us both personally and as a body. Here's a real-life example. About two years into the existence of ANC, it was just me and Brandon. We had a part-time worship guy, and that was pretty much it. Um, This was before Jason. This was before Lamar. um, And we literally lived week to week as a church. This is kind of, kind of, it brings me back. But we literally talked like this on a weekly basis. Well, based on our cash flow, based on our, on our outflow, we've got about three weeks till we close the doors. I'm seriously, 
We ha- and, then, and then the next week, well, we've got two weeks till we close the door. Um, but we remained faithful to the things that God had called us to, literally giving away our last dollars to a single mom of two kids who was about to be evicted. We paid her rent for the month. And that $700 took us down to the point where we had tens of dollars in the bank. That was it. I looked at Brandon. I said, dude, we don't have the money. He goes, how much do we have? And I said, $730. He goes, then we have the money. And I'm like, how do you argue with that? We did. (laughs) So, So I wrote the check, gave it to Brandon to deliver, and went to the office. And when I got there, I checked the mail. And in the mail, postmarked from some other part of the country was an envelope. And I opened that envelope, and there was a check for 10 grand. He sustained us. There's a couple of, couple of amazing parts about this story. One is, I'm not 100% sure if we hadn't given that woman the $700 that that check would have even been there. I'm not sure. I don't know. The second thing, most, the, the more amazing thing to me is that it happened two more times. Two more times in almost the exact same way. So much so that we almost drained our account again to help someone else out. I told Brandon, dude, I'm going to check the mailbox. <laughs> and, and there was another check for $10,000. Again, different person, same amount, same scenario. And the third time it was just stupid. <laughs> I took a picture of the $10,000 check and I sent it to Brandon. I said, man, no one's ever going to believe this. No one's ever going to believe this. But as sure as I'm standing here talking to you this morning, God moved in someone outside of ANC, all three of them, in miraculous response to our obedience, and there was a sense of wonder and expectation to see how God would continue to sustain us. It was a beautiful season. And I'll be honest with you, we aren't in the tens of dollars right now as a church, but we've come out of a rough, rough fall where we, ha- we may have lost maybe a third of our people over our stance with LGBT inclusion. And heading into the summer, summer's always, just always tough. So it's always tough. God's going to have to sustain us. Your church is at, a, is at a crossroads. But I have no doubt that when push comes to shove, God's people will rally. He will move his people to continue this work that he started A&C. He hasn't left, let us close the doors yet for some reason. And he has a plan for us. There's no place I would rather be than walking and waiting for God's grace to show up powerfully like it did in Acts 4 and when we were a two-year-old church. God still does this, you know. He still moves in people outside these walls to join us in what we're doing because they have heard about us from maybe from Jen's blog or Brandon and Jen's books or um, maybe the, I don't know, you, you write a blog, right? Sometimes. Um, but I want to stop because these people, these people have, over time, they've, they've sustained us. And I want to stop right there and tell them something because uh, statistics show us when we look at the stats that we fill up this room, but there's gener- typically five times the amount of people listening online that are in this room. And when Jen teaches, it's usually ten times the amount, but... <laughs> Just, I don't know how, but um, I want to say something to them real quick, and then I'm going to ask you to help me for a second. Okay, podcast people, first of all, thank you. Thank you for your love, your prayers, your support. When we teach to this little church in South Austin, we fill this drab cafeteria in a middle school with about 250 of the weirdest people on the planet. <laughs> and all God's people said, 
<laughs> we worship our guts out. We love each other like crazy. We love our city and our communities. We do life with each other and serve in the margins together, and it's super messy. But when you come visit us, and a lot of you do, don't expect a big church. That's the thing we always hear. We, and we aren't fancy either. And we don't do uh, live, pop, what do they call them? Streaming. We don't do streaming. That's too fancy. But there's always something special here. And we love you guys and we're thankful for you. So if you guys want me to finish up this sermon, uh, I would like you to say aloud with me, thank you, come see us. Okay, one, two, three. There you go. Just don't move here, all right? That's the, that's the typical Austin line. So anyway, we, we, Mac, Mac posted an incredible picture uh, of downtown Austin in 2010, which is a couple of years after I moved here, of 2010 and, and today. And it's just amazing. It's amazing. It's a, if you haven't seen it, I'll post it later. But it, it's just an amazing picture to look at. Anyway, um, where, did I, where did I lose my spot at? Oh, thank you. Come see us. So we see at the end of the passage here um, that Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Was he required to? What was his motivation? Had he signed a partner agreement? No, I, 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 think, I think he believed so much that his stuff would benefit the movement and the kingdom of God, that God would take care of him, and he had shown himself faithful in the past. Why would he stop now? He trusted for God's provision. And I was, as I was preparing this week, I asked a friend of mine who doesn't go to ANC, why do you tithe? And he told me some really good stuff. He said, you know, it's all God's money anyway. He only asked that we have faith and give 10%. Even when I've had bad years at work, God provided. You know, he said... Since my divorce, and he goes, and that's on me, I have to give my ex 30%. Uncle Sam takes 40%, and I give the church 10%. And I have never gone without. I still live well. You know that. I trust God will take care of me. I've never struggled. God has blessed me and my family, and I willingly give to participate in a small way. And my faith has grown. To much who's given, to whom much is given, much is required. So how much is enough? That's the personal part of it. That's up to you and me. But my friend's words, through all the tough times, living on 20%, if you did the math, um, is, I've never gone without. I still live well. I've never struggled. God's blessed me and my family, and my faith has grown. I think healthy, a healthy self-awareness of our privileged position should result in our generosity. It should. I say self-awareness, but what I probably mean is God-awareness, believing that God does own a cattle uh, on a thousand hills, and they are his to disperse as he pleases. Are we, are we using what we've been entrusted with to serve and to serve others? That's a hard one. Where's my heart? Where's my heart in giving? Well, my old pastor would tell me, well, let me take a look at your checkbook. I'll tell you where your heart is. Are we pouring ourselves out for the kingdom of God? Or are we pouring ourselves out for our kingdom? Because abundant blessing both ways, abundant blessing both ways is what living in the kingdom is about. 
I have, been, I have blessed you so that you may be a, be a blessing to others. I know I want to have more stories, both personally and as a church, where like in Acts 4 and the story I told you about two-year-old A&C, about God sustaining our church, I want to experience some more of that. It was exciting. I was expectant. And God delivered. He always does. So church, I hope this message this morning is more encouraging than discouraging. I hope that it gives us more grace to love others well. And I hope that as, as we give, we remember that God abundantly loves and blesses a cheerful giver, holding nothing back. So let's, let's allow God to have the space to move in our generosity. And let's recognize that everything we have is his anyway. And let's trust God, even in our finances. Let's pray.